listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. All right, so welcome to The Cooler Ring. My name is Jeff White with Cooler Partners, and joining me as always is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing? All is well. I'm really happy to, uh, uh, for this, uh, for this uh, chat today. This has uh, been um, an exciting uh uh, I guess our conversations in the lead up to this has has been very interesting to me. So I'm really, uh, I'm really curious to uh, to dive in here. Yeah, me as well. Uh, we're today we're going to be chatting with Scott Holstein of Computrols, uh, manufacturer and software company uh, based out of New Orleans, Louisiana, and uh, they are a manufacturer of building automation systems and uh, sounds like they're doing some really fantastic stuff from both a marketing and sales perspective as well as a really fascinating um, kind of business model around their uh, products and how they they're how they're thinking about this so uh, welcome scott thank you guys happy to uh, happy to be a part of the podcast yeah it's good to have you and uh, and i've got to say uh, this is the first uh, uh, I, time we've had the uh, podcast being recorded across uh, uh, two continents, uh, three different countries, um, and so we're going to test out all of the technology we possibly can and see if we can even break our uh, the podcasting uh, technology before we're done. But it's a, uh, it's uh, it's really great to be chatting. Uh, Scott, you're joining us from Denver. Uh, I hope everything uh, is going well there. Oh yeah, great time of year to be here. Um, it's just starting to cool off enough where you can go outside. And uh, if you if you live in Denver and you you don't enjoy the outdoors, you're in the wrong place. Yeah. So uh, lots of fun stuff going on this time of year. Beautiful part of the world. So Scott, kicking things off here, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Computrols and your your work with them over the last uh, two to three years? And perhaps give uh, the listeners a, a little background on you before that as well. Sure. So uh, prior to Computrols, I was doing business development for an online marketing agency and kind of found that I really enjoyed the marketing side more so than the sales side. So given my skill set, I, I still wanted to do a little bit of sales, um, but I really wanted to move in the direction of marketing as really my full-time role. Um, so I found this position with Computrols and I found it really exciting because we're talking about manufacturing circuit boards in New Orleans, which people don't really look at New Orleans um, in that light. Uh, so it was exciting to find out that that kind of technology was being manufactured in my city and um, learned a little bit more about it. And it was a, a niche industry I didn't really have a lot of information on and originally came over to Computrols as a digital marketing specialist. and. That was in part due to the fact that Computrol's digital presence at that time really needed a facelift. Um, there was a new website in the works. Um, there was a, a new CEO at the time um, who you know, wanted to get a little bit younger when it came to our marketing approach. So I came in as the digital marketing manager and uh, launched a new website, started doing some SEO, uh, really kicked off social media, and uh, and not a lot of time, they figured out that I could do some other things, including sales. So as a part of my role now, I really do anything and everything marketing, as well as uh, lead our sales team and uh, manage our CRM. I think that's really fascinating because I I I'm, I'm willing to bet that you know ninety percent of of manufacturing marketers out there 
um, either have a, a minor relationship with their sales organization and then or an antagonistic one, one. <laughs> <laughs> or you know maybe uh, you know they're maybe the two of them don't even talk you know and it's just uh, that divide between sales and marketing has been a, a consistent uh, uh, theme in the dialogue around manufacturing marketing for a while now. And, uh, and here you are leading the sales organization as the marketer. So, you know, I guess what's that like? Because I think it's, it's a bit like being to the moon. You can kind of come back and tell people about it because they're not there. Right. Well, I think that, uh, there are probably some frustrations that you don't have to experience if you, uh, you don't have those lines of communication open, but I think ultimately it's for the best. We, uh, we, we work pretty well together hand in hand. And it gives salespeople, our salespeople, the opportunity to ask, you know, what are we doing here? Why are we doing it? What's the goal? Um, you know, what's the messaging we should be using? And as a marketer, you can't ask for much more than that because you can blast out your message every which way you know how. But if it's not being used by the sales staff, it's really not getting to the, you know, to the end customer necessarily as frequently as you would like. So mm -hmm. it has been it has been a challenge at times to to help our sales team understand why we're doing what we're doing and uh, and then I think it's just been more so helpful because I get to see the lead go all the way from, you know, we came in via a, a LinkedIn ad or uh, or paid search or um, a webinar that we did. And then I get to follow that lead through the process. And as marketers, I think we're always skeptical. What is the sales team doing? Why are they not converting all of my leads? But if you get to be a part of that process, you get to see what's going on and you, and you understand better why this was or wasn't a good lead and can adjust your marketing strategy accordingly. Do you find that you're getting a, a good reception from the sales team now that you've been into it? Or was it, there some initial animosity or, or uh, how, how's that relationship changed over time? I wouldn't say there was uh, ever any animosity. Our team is really tight knit and we've not had a lot of issues in that respect. But um, I do think that over the last year, I've gotten a lot of our sales team to adopt our, our new CRM system, really start using it. And you know, when, when anyone starts using a CRM, they're skeptical, especially if it's something additional that they didn't have to do before. Um, but now that they're starting to see the benefits of it, it's become a much more harmonious relationship because they can see how marketing and sales work together and how tracking all of that information is ultimately going to lead to all of us being more successful. Do you feel um, between, uh, I guess, uh, the way I've seen that alignment happen is that it changes how the sales organization receives marketing initiatives because they are a little bit more in tune with the why that's behind it. But I also find it changes the type of marketing initiatives that the marketers undertake because of that um, that it, not even just additional input or pressure. It's more just it's more informed by sales. But in your case, Scott, you were a biz dev person beforehand. So I guess, uh, have you felt that, that, that it's kind of uh, improved the marketing of the firm kind of coming from both directions that way? Oh, without a doubt. It's uh, the feedback that I've gotten from our salespeople has been invaluable. And especially coming into a new industry for me, 
it was there was a learning curve there and uh and so it was really helpful to work with the salespeople to see okay what what exists now what can we continue to leverage what's working and then where do we go from there um but since we built that relationship the, the salespeople have certainly influenced some of the things that we've done now um you know a lot of their ideas don't make it to fruition where we, you know, we execute on them, but um, they are heard and they feel like, you know, they are being included in the strategy behind it. And I think that that ultimately just leads to better teamwork and a better end product from a marketing perspective. And as, as marketers, you know, one of the, one of the biggest things we're trying to do is, is keep the salespeople happy. Um, You know, we want to keep those leads coming in and we want to, keep growing the business in that direction. How have you found uh, the, the social selling side of things as a sales organization has adopted uh, more robust CRMs, et cetera, uh, and are getting into using uh, sales enablement technologies in some way, I guess. Uh, how is that extending into social selling? What's been your experience there? So social selling was something that I started to push immediately when I came in the door at CompuTrolls. It was not something that was currently being done. Um, you know, you look on, you can, you could look on LinkedIn and see <clears throat> it just wasn't really a priority um, for our team to be um, active and doing outreach through those avenues. So I can tell you, you know, some of the, I mean, really the majority of the leads that we've generated over the last year or so, at least half of them have come through social selling in some capacity, whether it be just prospecting, trying to find, you know, and identify the right people that we should be talking to and doing that outreach or um, being active and and having people share our content, that, which ultimately drives people to our website. They see what we do. They see how we do it differently than our competitors. And, uh, and at that point, they, they'll pick up the phone and call. But um, I would say, you know, social selling is is right up there with uh, with any of our approaches right now in terms of success. We uh, we use it for prospecting. We use it to to learn more about our customers, and uh, we're we're doing doing it uh, fairly successfully right now. I'm kind of curious because uh, I know that you put a lot of emphasis on video creation over the last while, or at least that's my uh, impression when I look at the website, and. Um, uh, and, and I'm always curious in social selling initiatives, kind of which content is getting uptake by the sales organization and bringing in the leads and what isn't. So I guess, talk to me about that. Do you feel like that's uh, um, uh, the video has been very strong there or have there been other parts of the content mix that you found to be um, to be better? So I think uh, it's always a combination um, that's going to make you successful uh, when it comes to that, because different people consume information in different ways. Um, but I do think it's worth mentioning that prior to coming in and working with Count Controls, my experience with video was extremely limited and uh, basically figured out a lot of it on the fly, did a lot of videos with my iPhone, um, did editing through iMovie, and um, was kind of surprised with some of the results coming out pretty well. And, uh, and then started looking at screen capture software. Um, we use Snagit, but you know, there's lots of other stuff out there. Um, but it, it made it fairly easy for me to pick up on the video. And like you said, we've probably produced 
over 20 videos the last two years. And um, getting back to what's been success, uh, what's been successful for us from a social perspective, um, I think video on social is is always going to win out. Um, I think when people are scrolling through their feeds, um, if you can give them some enticing video content, they're going to sit there and learn more. Um, but what we've, we've tried to do, and you'll see this on certain landing pages of our website, is we really try to give everybody the you know the best approach to the content for them. So that'll mean there might be a video at the top. And then there might be a bulleted list for those people who just want a high level overview. And then below that, we're going to give you loads and loads of content for those people who love detail and want to know how it all works. Hmm. And the search engines uh, don't mind that robust content either. It should be noted. Absolutely. And uh, being that my background is with a digital company, SEO is something I really geek out about. So um, <laughs> it's certainly something we pay attention to every time we create a new page. How has that been as a marketer coming from the dark side uh, of agency life over to the client side of the frying pan into the fire, as it were? I personally have really liked it. I think that I've grown as a marketer substantially. I got so in tune with our product set at my previous position where SEO, paid search, social media, social media advertising and content creation were all kind of part of what we did. but I feel like we were, you know, we were lacking an understanding of some of our customers' businesses. Mm. And I think that that's really where the rubber hits the road for, for marketing. And, uh, and so coming into this, um, coming into this position, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as simple as saying, look, we increased your site traffic and we, um, you know, we have longer time on site. It's, you know, what's the, what's the bottom line? And, I think that that's the question that a lot of marketers are a little afraid to have to answer sometimes is, you know, how is this impacting my business? So um, when you go in-house, that question gets answered every single day um, or it gets asked every single day. <laughs> Hopefully it gets answered. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, but like I said, I think it, it made me grow as a marketer because I had this kind of narrow idea of what you know, what marketing was and really had a good hold on a lot of the digital aspects of marketing. But I've learned so much more since then um, in terms of, you know, how to handle how to handle trade shows, how to do marketing outreach, how to do uh, public relations, PR. I didn't realize how hard PR was. And I'll tell you, as a uh, as somebody on the digital side who would work with some PR agencies, I would just think, you know, oh, this is all fluff and it doesn't have a whole lot of impact. And uh, that's just not the case. I, I have a much better appreciation for um, PR firms and people who do PR. I mean, that's the nature of the world we live in these days. I think a lot of what's happened with marketing and the influence of digital and social media, et cetera, over the last decade or more um, has pushed some of the PR sensibility more into the marketing realm, if you will. Um, and, uh, and I think the, the, the smart marketers are the ones that realize that and, uh, and don't resist, but rather dive in. But then again, I, I used to be a vice president of public relations in a former life, so I might be a bit biased. You, you, definitely, you definitely see the value of it a lot more. And um, also have to consider you know, who we are marketing to. Our, our demographic 
is not all over Facebook, is not really on Twitter. Um, you know, a part of our, our audience is on LinkedIn, but, you know, we do, we do need to be present there and we do need to make sure that we're doing the right things and, and making sure that we're engaging with the audience that is there. But I think when I came into this job, uh, you know, digital was my thing. I could do it. It was easy. And then I realized, oh, there's all this other stuff. And the audience that I'm marketing to is going to respond better to a lot of this. Mm -hmm. And I think as everybody's moved towards digital, um, some of those more traditional approaches have become effective again. That's interesting because I mean we've we've spoken to a, a number of marketers on this podcast, and, and some of them have really seen, you know, a uh, a dramatic increase in the number of millennials that they're selling to now, and uh, that they're actually having to change the way that they're marketing and change the way that they're selling because their demographic of of buyers is getting younger. Um, do you have a sense of of kind of what you'll do in order to move more into that? kind of a younger demographic as it changes and kind of shift more towards social and, and less towards PR? Or do you think you'll keep doing the same mix? I don't know. I always believe that uh, a good mix is going to be most effective. You, you know, you want to be everywhere all the time when people are looking for you. And um, I think that over the next 10 years or so, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with our industry, because I do think that that Change is going to happen slowly but surely, and um, you know I, I think that right now we do focus on digital quite a bit because we know that's where it's heading. Um, but at the same time, I don't think we can forget about those traditional approaches. And and although millennials interact with digital and you know have are, are digital natives, I do think that you'll find uh, your fair share of people out there who still like to have a you know still like to have a, a actual physical newspaper in their hands. So mm -hmm. uh, you certainly don't want to exclude anybody, but uh, you know, as you see the majority moving one direction, you try to try to go get in that way. I think that's a particularly interesting challenge for you because um, uh, Compitrols uh, not only is a hardware manufacturer, but started life as a software provider. So, uh, and there are a lot of manufacturing marketers listening right now that you know, they, these organizations are just starting to get into the software layer on top of the products they provide, you know, and learning how to manage that product development cycle, uh, either differently or not, but also um, uh, learning how to market those uh, sides of the business a bit differently. Uh, and it, one would assume in some way that um, uh, people who are buying uh, software are maybe a bit more online savvy. So I guess, um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that duality between the software and hardware side of the business and the marketing approaches required for each? It's, uh, it's interesting. I actually had a conversation about this with our CEO the other day. Um, we focus so much on the benefits of our software from a simplicity standpoint, and then we focus on our hardware as you know the most robust in our industry. We have a lifetime warranty on everything we manufacture, and when it comes to electronics, that just doesn't really exist. Um, so we find ourselves kind of focused on these you know these really specific areas of you know this is what we want to focus on in hardware, this is what we want to focus on on software. And the way that our industry is going right now, um, a lot of people are 
creating what they call open systems. And although they're not truly open, this is something that is a trend in our industry and it's something that we're keeping an eye on. But essentially what a lot of our competitors are doing is they make their controllers completely open so they'll work with anyone else's software or they make a software that will sit on top of someone else's software and, and kind of manage it from there. But um, for us, it is, it's about the total package and the total experience. Um, mm. When our owners started the company 35 years ago, they started as a service company for commercial building automation systems. And they thought at that time that these systems were just too cumbersome. They're, they're too much work and they shouldn't be that difficult. So um, at that time, they brought on uh, Mike Donnellan, who is now our third owner, and uh, he created the first uh, first version of uh, Computrol's building automation software. It was in DOS. And uh, at that time, they started integrating to all of these third-party um, systems, and, uh, and it was a success for them, but they were still dependent on a third party for their hardware. And um, planned obsolescence is something that you see frequently in electronics, um, certainly in the building automation industry. And so what was happening is we were dependent on those uh, individual companies for the hardware. And at times they weren't even able to get it because that product had been obsoleted um, and basically taken out of production. Mm. So um, at that time they started manufacturing everything um, in-house. They've done it in New Orleans, Louisiana since they started. Um, and now we have our, our, our own line of hardware as a, a, turn, a turnkey solution. And because in our case, those two things are so connected, um, it's, hard to, it's hard to talk about one without the other. Um, but I do think that, you know, there are opportunities that, you know, we, we may not be seeing necessarily because like, like anyone in any job, you kind of get going down a path and you stop, you, you forget to stop to look around um, to see what's going on. But um, our approach has always been with software to make it as simple as possible. And so marketing our software has always been um, kind of easy as compared to um, some of the other software platforms out there, because our message is just we build simplicity into everything that we do. So I think that has made it a little bit easier to market to uh, that older demographic as opposed to, you know, having this, this brand new flashy software that, uh, that does all of these different things, but realistically you're only going to use a handful of those features. Mm -hmm. It is uh, certainly, I mean, well, everybody's uh, situation uh, naturally is quite unique, but I do appreciate uh, uh, the, the the intimate connection, if you will, between the, the software and hardware sides of the business. I'd be curious, though, things like, uh, you know, developing a, a stronger UX sensibility in the software products, as an example, or maybe as you look to, to move um, uh, to, to even further the simplicity offering, if you will, and, and on that message. I just it would imagine, it just it strikes me that uh, uh, you know, that type of uh, skill set is often a, a different one than the required to make great hardware. So it, that, I guess that's the edge that I find a lot of marketers uh, struggle with is that if they're a pure hardware company, uh, the idea of building interfaces is pretty, uh, pretty sketchy territory. But maybe where you guys started on that front, it uh, you didn't have the same pitfalls, if you will. 
Yeah, I think that had a lot to do with it. I think the fact that we we came from service and then built a front end software that you know we felt like was the most intuitive in the market, and then building software on top of that. I think we've always looked at ourselves as integrators with a hardware solution to back it up, because there are a lot of people, a lot of companies out there can integrate to third party um, controllers, but when those third-party controllers start to fail, they don't have a solution for that. So um, that, that's been a big part of our DNA from the very beginning. You're listening to The Cooler Ring, conversations on manufacturing marketing. Don't forget to subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolering. That's kulapartners.com slash thecoolering. You had to... Uh... In talking about the software and, and the hardware side of things, um, you know, what, what are some of the challenges that you're facing in terms of uh, getting that out there? And how many, you know, in terms of your customers, are, are they largely software first or hardware first? Or are they, they buying both? Or how does that generally work? So we, we're kind of an interesting player in our market um, because... If you look at our competitors, uh, the majority of them are Fortune 100, if not Fortune 500 companies. And uh, the building automation market has largely been full of acquisitions for the last maybe 20 years. And um, so there aren't a lot of mid-size companies like our own. And, uh, and we also fit into a very unique niche. Um, so the challenge for us has been getting our name out there. So awareness is, is one of our, our number one goals in every marketing campaign. You know, we want to get this in front of as many people as possible. So when one of our salespeople picks up the phone and calls and they say, I'm with copy trolls, it's not the first time that they're hearing the company's name. Mm. And, uh, and so the awareness challenge has, has really been, you know, first and foremost on my mind um, because it's, it's huge. I mean, you're looking at, you know, we, we do business internationally and, you know, you're trying to get in front of these audiences and especially um, coming from a digital perspective, you know, I have all these ideas about ways to do this. Um, and then I find out, okay, well, not everybody um, is going to be reached digitally. So we have to get creative here. Um, so yeah. And in terms of awareness, I think, that's been our biggest challenge is getting in front of those people. So CompuTrolls becomes a name that they synonymize with building automation because they've heard of our big time competitors and they, they know how they work. And uh, because our approach is so different, it's also a matter of educating them on what we do. Because um, when you look at the average building automation company, um, first of all, they're multi-billion-dollar company worldwide, um, locations, and you know everywhere you can possibly imagine, and they create solid products. Um, but one of the challenges that we try to solve is planned obsolescence, because these systems in large facilities can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, when their customers are told, you know, we don't manufacture this product anymore, we don't support this product. Um, that's where we come in and we can do some really unique things that other people can't do. And, and that is where education becomes really important because, okay, once we get to that point where 
people synonymize copy trolls and they with building automation, it's it's not over there because we're not just a building automation company and, and we do such unique integration solutions and we do um, you know, we will even build custom hardware at times um, that we try to get that message out as best we can and, and a really kind of shotgun approach. I think that's a, it's an interesting challenge that I think a lot of mid-sized manufacturers share. Their market presence, uh, awareness, if you will, uh, is, is dwarfed uh, by their multi-billion dollar Fortune 100 competitors. And they're left trying to figure out how to how to zig while those competitors zag in order to try to get noticed in a marketplace that's not getting any less congested, generally speaking. Um, it, it would you mentioned earlier about um, uh, still uh, using a, a number of uh, traditional uh, practices for uh, on the marketing side. I'm, I'm curious to what extent have you. Have you been successful in integrating uh, digital lead capture or even uh, closed-loop digital analytics into those more traditional executions? Have you found that that's allowed you to be a bit more precise with your your marketing and and, and as a result maybe uh, maneuver some of these larger competitors? I would say you know there is some advantage to being smaller. We're we're very nimble and we're we're willing we're willing to take some risks on, you know, what we're trying, um, because we, you know, we're competing with companies that have marketing budgets that are, you know, bigger than our whole company combined. Um, but you know, we, we have been creative in how we've done that outreach. Um, and as far as tracking, um, some of that, you know, we, we do, we're very, we're very diligent, you know, finally about recording everything in our CRM. So, when a call comes in, new opportunity comes along. The first thing we find out is how did this person find us? And uh, and so our um, our digital campaigns uh, for our digital campaigns that's usually easy enough. For our more traditional campaigns, um, things like call tracking numbers and uh, alternate domains that redirect um, can be really helpful there. Um, we've we've implemented a, a few in uh, in our traditional campaigns, but. Generally speaking, yeah, we're we're doing everything we can to close that loop and find out, you know, where where did this person come from, you know, and how do we find more people like them? Yeah, I do find it um, uh, an interesting opportunity you have with all of these competitors. Um, uh, I guess uh, planning obsolescence of a product, and that's oftentimes your entry point is when you can go in and your software product helps uh, kind of bridge that gap. Um, and avoid a multi-hundred thousand dollar new expense. Uh, and of course, those people have to announce when they're uh, doing that with their products to their customer base. So uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I have this vision in my head of Computrol's marketing department kind of monitoring those and then being able to, uh, uh, to swoop in and, um, and, uh, and, and make hay when that sun's shining. But uh, maybe that's just a shameless salesperson in me feeling that. <laughs> no, I mean, that's that's certainly an approach. And uh, the challenge for us is usually just identifying, you know, who has those those legacy systems. Now, um, we certainly pay attention to those announcements. And, you know, we try to take advantage of that. Um, you know, we'll put out a press release that says, look, we integrate to this legacy system. Um, but, you know, it's, it's getting the awareness out there. Um, and as a 
you know, as a smaller manufacturer in our space, we're a risk to our potential customers. So if I'm a facility manager and I've got Compitrols and then brand A and brand B that are Fortune 100 companies, if I go with brand A or brand B and things don't work out, I'm, I'm in the clear. I, I, I went with a safe decision. You know, we can, we can figure it out. If I go with this, you know, up and comer or someone who's not as well known in our industry and things don't work out, this really looks bad for me. Mm. Um, so, you know, going back to what you were talking about, identifying those individuals, um, I think is important. You know, we try to put out content um, around that same time that explains, you know, look, you don't, you, you have more than this one option. You don't have to rip out everything and start over. Mm. Uh, but that's constantly a message that we're trying to drive out there at the same time. There's a, there's no question that them, the, uh, yeah, the, I could just, the, uh, the awareness challenge for midsize manufacturers and, and uh, like you just say, if nobody ever got fired for buying Hewlett Packard is the old saying, or, or nobody ever got fired for buying IBM. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, that, that same sentiment, uh, uh, comes across in many industries and it's another thing standing in the way of, of, uh, or I guess another challenge for mid-market manufacturing marketers. Um, Scott, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I've really enjoyed, uh, your, your insights onto the, uh, the what you've been up to over the last uh, couple of years at Computrols and, 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 and how you're navigating this digital transformation. Um, certainly seems like seems like things are uh, are busy over there. So, uh, and uh, and there's lots on the go. I'm really excited to to see how the company grows and prospers over the next uh, several years. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that, and uh, you know, I appreciate you guys having me. This has been really fun for me uh, as somebody who geeks out about marketing. I can talk about it for a long time. So, if you're ever looking to fill the air. <laughs> Just <laughs> excellent excellent that's the trouble with marketers right we're always happy to fill the air and the only people that are willing to listen to us generally are other marketers so <laughs> yeah you're right <laughs> uh excellent scott well look it's been it's been fantastic thanks so much uh thank you for joining us on the cooler ring and we look forward to catching up with you later thanks for listening to the cooler ring with carmen perry and jeff white don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.